0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo,
3: quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown.
2: Yeah, you heard it there. This is Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. That guy right over there, you see him sitting there? That's Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle and I write about the 49ers over at Ninerswired.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. And Chris, it's getting hot. We're beating heat. We're golfing in the heat. I'm still not very good. It's fine. We'll talk about that later. But we got stuff to get to today. We've got opt-outs. We've got our five most interesting storylines heading into training camp. Uh, we will go over all of those. Uh, but real quick off top, uh, Sean Coleman and Jake Brendel, two reserve offensive linemen, joined Travis Benjamin, who we talked about last week in opting out of the 2020 season. Uh, Brendel, depth piece along the offensive, uh, the interior of the offensive line. He was not on my 53-man roster. Uh, Sean Coleman was, <laughs> though. He uh, he was a player I had tagged to be a reserve tackle. Um, he was going to be the swing tackle last year, I think before uh, he went down with an injury in week one of the preseason. And now he's opting out of the 2020 campaign. So the 49ers to replace some of that depth along the offensive line are going to sign Spencer long. He played for the bills last year. Uh, he can play guard and center. Uh, they are expected to sign him. At least that's what his agent announced. The 49ers haven't announced anything yet. So Backup offensive line talk to kick off the pod. You're welcome. And now that you're engaged, let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk training camp storylines. And Chris, the first one that I, I we're calling it a training camp storyline, but it's been a 49er storyline since two years ago. The George Kittle contract extension. It still hasn't come down, uh, but Mike Silver on NFL Network gave an update Uh, after talking to kittles agent jack beckta hears that
3: well there's a week until he puts himself in a more perilous position potentially when real practices start so i think this is a big week Uh, i talked to kittles agent jack beckta yesterday he said progress has been minimal and later reinforced that by texting me an inchworm emoji to underscore that fact and uh You know, it's not just money. There is structure and how much money a player like George Kittle could get up front, how much would actually be guaranteed. And at the heart of all this has been somewhat of a philosophical divide between the 49ers who say, listen, we want to pay you more than any tight end ever because you're the greatest tight end. And uh, Kittle's camp, which is saying, don't view me as a tight end. I was just voted the seventh best player in football at any position.
2: So, Chris, what do you take away from uh, what Silver's reporting here? And where do you think the 49ers are uh, in this situation with their negotiations with Kittle?
1: So I I think they're, they're probably far apart on a few different fronts. It sounds like Kittle wants to be paid like one of the highest paid players in the league, not just a tight end. And the 49ers are just looking at where they are from a salary cap perspective, they're going to have a hard time guaranteeing Kittle maybe as much as he would like or deserves um, because they're up against a salary cap now. Uh, So that's a pretty significant thing. And the big question this weekend is whether or not Kittle practices. Is he um, doing team drills Uh, over the weekend? I think the media is going to be allowed to go to at least one practice, uh, which is not going to have pads. It's going to be more OTA style, which, Typically happen in June. And then the training camp practice, the actual padded practice, the first one is going to be next Monday, August 17th. And so is George Kittle going to be out there? Um, Or is he going to hold out? And is it going to be a situation where the 49ers are going to have to give George Kittle a contract or else risk not having him uh, during the regular season, which is certainly feasible given that? you know, he's one of the best players in the league about to make $2.13 million this year. Um, so it would be completely understandable for Kittle to hold out, but it would be a huge thorn in the 49er side because they would be operating most likely from a standpoint of having to look at paying Kittle uh, in a way that probably costs them a couple other starters, you know, like guys like D Ford, or Quan Alexander or Weston Richburg, who aren't like, you know, I don't consider those guys super important players, um, but they're good players. Like D Ford had a very noticeable impact on the pass rush last year, even though uh, he only played 22% of the snaps. I think the stat is something like the 49ers average over three sacks a game with Ford on the field. Um, and fewer than uh, two snaps, two sacks per game when Ford wasn't on the field um, at all. And and there was obviously a noticeable dip in the pass rush when Ford was hurt in December. Um, and then it returned back in uh, back in the playoffs. But the point being, if you're the 49ers and you're trying to give out a new contract to George Kittle, you really don't want to be negotiating from a standpoint of, well, we probably have to cut these guys in order to make this money work, even though the right thing to do is pay George Kittle. So they're coming to some really difficult financial realities. On the other hand, they're probably also telling Jack to that we could just franchise tag Kittle. And if he holds out um, the, the holdout is super uh, the holdout really punishes the player for doing it under the new CBA that was agreed to in March. So the 49ers probably have that in their back pocket. So ultimately. I think they're going to come to at somewhere in the middle. Um, Kittle's not going to be, you know, among the highest paid receivers. I don't think, Um, I don't think he's, it's going to be like 18 to 20 million a year. I think it's probably going to be something like 14 or 15 million a year, um, which is significantly more than Austin Hooper making $10.5 million a year um, atop the tight end market. So um, that's where, you know, it's, it's interesting. The big question is going to be whether or not Kittle practices. And then we'll have a lot more clarity on the situation.
2: One of the underlying things here that I I think matters, and I'm not sure we've talked about it on this podcast yet, but when we talk about the 49ers planning for two and three years down the road with the way they, they structure their, their contracts uh, it's worth noting that Jimmy Garoppolo's final year on his deal is 2022 And that's also going to be Bosa's fourth year. And if both of them are still playing well by 2022, you're going to have an elite pass rusher and a elite quarterback or top 10 quarterback, both awaiting long-term extensions. So there's, I say that to bolster the fact that there are so many moving parts here. And I think that's why there's hesitation. I don't think it's a matter of the 49ers don't want to pay Kittle or they don't think he's worth X amount, but they have to in in valuing a player, I almost said valuating, in valuing a player, you have to take into account the, the restrictions of the salary cap and what other players may be making down the road. So that's that's where to me i've seen some i've seen some stuff both both working in sports talk radio out here and i've seen it online where people are worried the 49ers don't want to pay Kittle or don't think he's worth x amount i don't i don't think it's that at all i think it's a matter of fitting kittles large deal into a bigger picture that allows them to maximize their window with this set of really good players they have.
1: Yeah. And Kittle's been dealing with a lot of injuries, right? So Kittle would preferably have a big signing bonus up front, but what's really difficult to do is guarantee a lot of money up front while not having massive cap numbers in the early years of those contracts. Right? So ideally the, for the 49ers, just given the way the cap is taking this massive hit, you would want to have a really small cap number, um, in the first year of the deal next year in theory and then have it build up going forward but by doing that you're minimizing what ju- what kittle could get upfront front guaranteed um, so it's just a really tricky situation and and i guess the thing i would say to people who are worried about it these are two sides that want to get something done it's just a market wrecking contract more than likely um with no precedent uh which makes it tough like the 49ers came to contract agreements with d ford and eric armstead pretty pretty quickly and they're basically the exact same deal um they're both for 5 years i think uh i, I off the top of my head i think they're both $87.5 and right um if not they're they're very close to that yeah. they're basically the same template there's no template for a george kittle uh a tight end contract like, you know, an all pro tight end, like contract for somebody who is so multifaceted like Kittle, because a lot of the best tight ends, you could say, well, they're really good players, but they're really only good in the passing game. And so how valuable is that if, you know, they're not a, an elite receiver, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole complicated question, a uh, uh, complicated scenario, but um, it's going to take time, but I think ultimately they're going to come to a resolution and, and. Uh, I would be, you know, I, Kittle's gonna play this season as long as he's healthy. I think he's gonna play. Yeah. Um, it just the the contract stuff is gonna be really sticky.
2: All right, let's get to our second interesting storyline heading into training camp, and it's the Niners' top draft pick this year, Javon kinlock And I think not only because he is their top draft pick, but the fact that he will replace DeForest Buckner who the Niners traded to get the draft pick to get Kinlaw. So I think there, I don't want to say there's going to be a ton of pressure on him, but I think there are going to be a lot of eyeballs uh, on Kinlaw because I think there, there are a lot of people who are going to view that as kind of a one for one trade, even though we've discussed before on this podcast, there was a lot more to it, but Javon Kinlaw, the, the three things you have written down here on the, in the rundown. And I think this is, these are the three good questions is, uh, What's he look like? Where's he lining up? And what does a successful season look like? So let's run through that right now. Uh, what's he look like? I've noticed he's large.
1: <laughs> hey, that's a big dude. He's really big. I mean, I, one of the most interesting things about the whole thing is how different Kinlaw and DeForest Buckner are. Um, You know, no. Buckner as everybody knows, is a tall, lean, interior pass rusher. And and there weren't a lot of guys like him. Um, but there are a lot of big, massive dudes who aren't quite so lean <laughs> like mm-hmm. Kinlaw um, in the league who are really good right now. So, you know, guys like Fletcher Cox and Akeem Hicks and and guys like that, I think, I think that's more the type of player that the 49ers are expecting to get, which is way different um than what than what Buckner was. And so yeah, I'm just curious to see what it looks like. Do they do they switch up their fronts? Um does he play nose tackle ever? Um is he going to be only at three technique? And where's everybody else lining up around him? Um that's gonna be really interesting. Is he used on Nick Bosa's side or D Ford's side? Um you know those are those are going to be interesting questions because you have all the two man games and, and things like that. So um, I'll pose it to you. What What do you think a successful Siobhan Kinlaw season looks like this year?
2: I think that as long as, <clears throat> I think as long as he's not noticeably bad, I think that's for year one is a success. I don't think he's going to go out and have eight sacks and a bunch of pressures and, make the 49ers immediately forget about DeVos Buckner, but at his position if he can maybe improve their run defense a little bit and push the pocket with some regularity as a pass rusher, maybe the numbers don't all don't all match the the on-field impact which can happen a lot with interior defensive linemen. Right. I think Like I said, as long as it's not like week one, uh, the Niners have the, the, excuse me, the Cardinals rack up 200 yards on the ground and they ran right at Javon Kinlaw a bunch of times (laughs) like that, that avoiding the man Javon Kinlaw was really bad storyline is a big deal. I, I, at least I think, because remember DeForest Buckner's rookie year, he wasn't this, I mean, he played a ton of snaps and he was good, but he wasn't 10 sacks and it's like, oh man, this guy's an all pro. Um, it was clear he was going to be good, but it wasn't like he hit his ceiling in year one. And I, and I, I think we're going to see from Kinlaw this year, if we see that same thing, like, oh, the, the ceiling is very, very high with this guy. Um, and maybe the production just doesn't quite match that. I I think that's, that's a successful year.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I've said it a bunch in stuff I've written and um, on this pod. But the reason why I think Javon Kinlaw has a chance to be maybe better than than some other rookie defensive tackles right away is pretty obvious, is that he's not joining a defensive line that stinks. He's not he wasn't drafted to become the, um, you know, the savior of the defensive line. The 49ers have stars on the defensive line already. Um, so all Kinlaw has to do is be a complimentary piece to those guys and do what he needs to, to allow them to just really take off. Um, and I think there's a possibility that that happens. And like you said, it might not really show up in the stat sheet, but it doesn't really matter. Like if he's taking double teams and allowing Nick Bosa to get one-on-one scenarios in pass rushing situations, like that's, that's all the 49ers need really. Absolutely. So. Uh, let's take a quick break we got some we got an exciting new sponsor actually hell yeah love new sponsors uh sunday sunday sundays are coming back in the nfl with nfl sunday tv you can stream every live game out of market nfl game every sunday afternoon on your favorite devices plus red zone boar, boar, and direct tv f- <laughs> and direct tv fantasy zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players no matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.TV is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use a promo code Blue Wire at checkout to get fifteen percent off your subscription. Visit NFL Sunday Ticket.TV and use promo code Blue Wire. I am super pumped because of COVID, I'm probably going to be spending a lot more Sundays at home, so uh, I'm I'm going to have to order up this Sunday Ticket package and take advantage of this because that's that's a pretty awesome new sponsor to have.
2: And the best. The best time to have Sunday ticket is when the 49ers are on a bye. Because then you just get to enjoy football all day without having to work. And it is my single favorite. The 49ers bye week is my single favorite day.
1: There is nothing like sitting down and watching an NFL game and drinking a beer and not like having my laptop in front of me. And just enjoying the game. It's it's incredible.
2: Not the... not that you or i are complaining about our jobs our jobs are awesome no it's just i don't but getting to relax and not work is
1: better than work on a sunday yeah on an nfl sunday it's great i love my job but it's it is awesome to be able to sit at home and watch football
2: speaking of football sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events lord knows i've started right away major league baseball back in action and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners bet online in fact pro tip mike fires on the bump for the a's take the opponent money line that's some free money for you you're welcome check out all the odds futures and props to bet on all available 24 7 and with the return of sports bet online sat down with former pro players eddie george harold reynolds and seven-time nba champion robert ori that's right more titles than mj Robert Ory's the GOAT, argue with your auntie, see what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.
1: Hey, Kyle, have you ever heard of DealDash.com? Only on this podcast, Chris. Tell me more. (laughs) It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clocker starts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of all their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code Candlestick or fm slash Candlestick. That's D E A L D A S E. I can read d-e-a-l-d-a-s-h dot f-m slash candlestick.
2: All right. I just want to say, if you listen to the reads, I crushed that bet online read. Holy cow. Anyways, let's get to our third uh, interesting camp storyline, and it's the wide receivers. This was the most interesting position group going into the offseason. The intrigue increased exponentially when Debo Samuel went down with the Jones fracture in his left foot. He posted a video on Instagram um, showing himself working out in bare feet, doing cuts on that foot on like a uh, like padded like trampoline spring floor thing. So four weeks until the season is set to open. We'll we'll see if Samuel is back and ready. Uh, John Lynch has not sounded very optimistic that Samuel will be ready for week one, but that's a different story uh, for a different podcast. Um, Brandon Ayuk, Dante Pettis, Trent Taylor, Jalen Hurd, Jawan Jennings, they are all going to be in the group battling for roster spots along with uh, Debo Samuel whenever he is back and healthy, Richie James will also be in that group. He is on the uh, active non-football injury list while he rehabs a hand that he broke in the offseason. Um, if I... which Which one of us would have a better chance of getting right what the receiver depth chart looked like week one, if you guessed, or if I pulled names out of a hat?
1: <laughs> uh... I mean, I'd like to give myself a little bit of credit. Like, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I think it's going to be Kendrick Bourne. Um, who was not on that list. Yeah, I would have to say, I mean, but well, Kendrick Bourne is kind of a given, right? Sure.
2: Yeah, it's it's Iuke, Bourne, and Samuel are the three
1: givens for me. That are making the team. Right. I say right. for me. For um, I would probably go the other ones I feel comfortable saying will make it will be Trent Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Hurd and Jawan Jennings. Um, Dante Pettis is a big question mark. But really, like the whole thing with this group is that I don't think it's a bad group. I think it's a really talented group. Mm-hmm. They're just so question. They're just huge question marks with every single guy. With Brandon Iukits, can a rookie receiver come in and contribute right away in an off season where he didn't have any time really to to build chemistry with his quarterback? and practice the offense on a football field um is Dante Pettis going to rebound from last year I think that's pretty straightforward is Trent Taylor going to be healthy and if he is healthy is he going to be the player that Kyle Shanahan said was the 49ers best player on offense during training camp last year before getting hurt um Jalen Hurd also really promising last summer but got hurt a fracture in your back is a big deal so we'll be keeping an eye on that and and will Jawan Jennings be the steal that a lot of people think he can be? Um, there's a lot of talent. There's not a lot of experience. It's really mm-hmm. crazy that Dante Pettis and I guess Trent Taylor, to a certain extent, not not in games played, but just given that he's been in the NFL for three years now, like the, all these guys look pretty like look like they could be really good or talented or whatever. There's just no experience there. So can they hit the ground running and, and what is it going to look like? Um, because I don't think there's a scenario where the 49ers go back to the Super Bowl and don't have three legitimate starting receivers like they did last year when Emmanuel Sanders was there and Debo Samuel was healthy.
2: The thing that's so interesting with this group and and realistically. If Debo Samuel's healthy, he's the number one. I think what we saw last year from Kendrick Bourne was what his role is going to be in this offense in an ideal situation, where he catches thirty to forty balls and you know five to eight touchdowns, and he converts some third downs, and is just a reliable target for Garoppolo. What's interesting after that is like the ceiling on the rest of the group is so high, yeah that but the floor is equally low where we could be sitting here in week 10 and doing a podcast going, the Niners need to do something about their receiving core. It's holding them back. Yeah. Or we could be sitting here in week 10 going, the 49ers have the best receiving core in the league. I think it's, I don't know about that. No, but I, I really, if, if Brandon, I takes the same trajectory that Debo Samuel does and kind of takes off at that point of the season, the way he does. And Debo Samuel bounces back and and takes the step forward we think he's going to take this year and those are your one two with Bourne as the three operating the way he did last year and again now this is all these guys hitting ceiling so Dante Pettis takes the jump that we thought he was going to take in year two and Trent Taylor is still Jimmy Garoppolo's kind of go-to third down guy out of the slot and Jalen Hurd is this multi-positional just uh, offensive dynamo that's scoring 10 touchdowns from three different positions there's there's a when you talk about the ceiling for this receiving core i think that's where it is will they get there probably not and in reality maybe one of those guys gets to the point that it's like okay that's a reliable starting nfl receiver so that's where the intrigue is for me is which one of these guys is gonna which one of them is going to emerge as the uh, kind of second starter if if Debo Samuel can not start right away. But then I don't think they're going to trade for Emmanuel Sanders this year. I don't think they're going to unload those that kind of draft capital to get a receiver in the middle of the year. So they're going to need to find that receiver, I think, in camp. And finding out who that is 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 what I'm very, very interested to watch.
1: I think they need... Three of the group, including Ayuk, Pettis, Taylor, and Hurd, and Jennings, they need three of those guys to be good. And it's far from a certain thing. Like Ayuk clearly is the best ceiling because he's the most talented and most highly drafted one, but he's also probably the most raw. Um, to me, I think the most intriguing guys is Jalen Hurd because you mentioned the positional versatility and just. He adds a completely different element to the offense and you can get really creative if Jalen Hurd ends up being good. Um, And if he can end up blocking linebackers, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, as a receiver, who's 230, 240 pounds, he'll be able to, he should be able to block linebackers. If you can use Jalen Hurd in a way that works directly with George Kittle, that's really interesting. And that could be really nasty um, for the opponent, the, the opposing defenses. And then Trent Taylor, if he's healthy and the player that he was last training camp and maybe at the end of 2017, which feels like forever ago now, that you have the makings of a really good receiving core. And and let's remind everybody, like, George Kittle is the team's top pass catcher. Yeah. So they don't need anybody to come in here and, and take, you know, they don't need a receiver to come in and catch the ball 100 times for – you know, fourteen hundred yards to carry the passing game. Kittle is is the top option. These guys just need to be good enough to fill in a, a, along the edges. And you know, like one of the reasons why I think Kendrick Bourne was so good in so many clutch situations is because in key downs, he's he's not getting double covered. Like you're you're double covering George Kittle, and you're probably double covering. You know, last year it would have been Emmanuel Sanders, um, but now. Like you don't have that guy. So is Kendrick Bourne going to still be as effective in, in those key downs? Like that's the I mean, the, the there are so many different factors and variables and all this stuff that go into evaluating 49ers receiving core. And the the fascinating thing about it is there's such a high variance of outcomes and we really don't know anything about these guys right now because we haven't seen them all off season. So it's really, it's, I think it's, it's easily the most fascinating position group on the roster.
2: And a lot of the, a lot of the roster calculus changes if Debo Samuel uh, is ready to go by week one.
1: Yeah. And I think he's probably going to miss the first two or three weeks.
2: Yeah. So, so is that, so, so your prediction, it sounds like is he starts on the active roster but is inactive for the first couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. That's my guess.
2: Yeah. I think so too.
1: I think Debo can, um, you know, work back as fast as he wants. He can post as much stuff on Instagram that he wants. It's not going to be his decision on when he's ready to play. I think the 49ers would be smart to say, all right, you're 100% healthy. Now let's give you a few weeks to, to really make sure, um, you know, you're not going to come out and, and aggravate this thing and, and end up missing the season uh so i yeah i think if samuel put it this way if we didn't see samuel until october um i wouldn't be surprised at all and i don't think it would necessarily be a bad thing as long as the receivers can hold their weight in the in the passing game can can settle without him speaking of
2: the passing game number four jimmy garoppolo this is more than any other thing we've talked about i think this is the determining factor in how far the 49ers go this year. Yeah. Um that's fair. I I understand their defense is still going to be very good. I think that they're due for a little bit of a regression. They can still be a top five defense. I don't think they're going to be a historically great pass defense again for the first eight or ten weeks. Right. Um, and that's not a knock. It's just really hard to sustain that. That's right. That's just how it goes. So I think. To make up for that, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to be even better than he was last year, and that's going to kind of start in camp. And one of the things today that that jumped out to to me and and Niners reporters who were on the video call with with Kyle yuschek when he spoke to the media today and Tuesday is that he mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo was not wearing the brace on his left knee. And that to me signals, and maybe he's just doing it for walkthroughs. Don't put it back on when the pads come on, but that to me signals a level of confidence in his knee that I don't think Garoppolo had at any point last year.
1: Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, it was definitely noticeable and and talking to Garoppolo about it last year, he would say like, you know, I'm probably going to wear this knee brace for the rest of my career. And even talking to him this off season, he'd say things like, yeah, it's, I'm night and day different this off season now. Because last offseason, I was basically rehabbing the entire time and trying to, you know, reteach my legs how to work in, in a pocket and operating as a, as a quarterback. Um, so now Garoppolo can actually spend an entire offseason, albeit a really weird one because of the pandemic, uh, working on becoming a better quarterback. And the fact that he did everything he did last year in his first full season as a starter, I think is really promising. And the fact that he's in the system again. Uh and has a ton of continuity, knows his pass catchers. Um, the 49ers are gonna be able to run the ball. We know that. So everything is there for Garoppolo to take a significant step forward, maybe with the exception of established weapons, somebody like Emmanuel Sanders in the receiving court, which he just talked about. So yeah, I think how Garoppolo looks, I mean, if he's not wearing the knee during pad, the knee pad during uh the knee brace, sorry, during padded practice, um, that would be a shock to me. I think that would be a really a really noticeable development. Him not doing it in walkthroughs indicates to me that his knee is definitely in an entirely different place. Um, and last year, too, he would have to get his knee drained and not drained in, like, a surgical sense. He would have, uh, you know, he would lay on a training table, have his knee or his leg, like, vertically in the air at 90 degrees, and then there would be fluid that was pushed down from the knee with gravity and then taken out of his knee, um, because of like swelling and things like that, so that was one of the things that Garoppolo was dealing with last year, and he had a whole treatment regimen for that knee and I would imagine it's going to be significantly less this year now that he's a little bit further removed from the injury and more healthy so um yeah, I think there there's a chance Jimmy Garoppolo gets significantly better um a pretty good chance actually and and we've seen it from Kyle Shanahan quarterbacks in the past, and I'll ask you, Kyle. Like what are the percentages you think Garoppolo become like takes the next step and becomes maybe like a top five guy um, statistically at least. And what do you think it would take for him to maybe evolve into an MVP candidate? Because I think it is on the table. I think it's unlikely, but I can't rule it out. I think just given what we've seen, what we've seen in such a limited sample, I think he could potentially get there at some point in his career. Can I give a hot take? Absolutely. I have a scorcher for you guys. Let's
2: go. Let me pull up the schedule here because I want to make sure I have this right. If the 49ers don't blow out the Panthers 51 to 13, and if they don't blow out the Packers 37 to 8, and they don't blow out the Browns 31 to 3, and Garoppolo has to throw some more, and instead of 3978 yards and 27 touchdowns he winds up with 4200 yards and 31 touchdowns i think he's an mvp candidate last year
1: okay i would have to look at all the numbers but okay there was just his his
2: usage his usage in some of those games was so low because they were just kicking the holy shit out of teams and didn't need to pass yeah and and so i i I think that on a 13-3 and team, if he goes 30-plus TDs and he's in that 4,200-yard range, I think he absolutely gets looks last year. Okay. So, that being said, I think for him to get into the MVP conversation, A, the Niners have to be 12-13 wins again. Yeah. Because they've hit that 13-win mark. Garoppolo could throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns, but if they win 10 games, he's not winning the MVP. So
1: if, Man, if they Garoppolo win, threw for 5,000 yards and they only won 10 games, that the defense would be right. really, really. <laughs> <in metric>. <laughs> <laughs> I was
2: being extreme on purpose, but okay. I think. He has to be 12% better to be in the MVP conversation. Just I yeah. think there's that there, he will get he will see an uptick in yards and, and touchdowns just by virtue of more attempts. I don't think he's going to be near the bottom of the league in attempts again. And if he cuts down on his interceptions and becomes just a little bit more efficient, it's going to be really hard to keep him out of that conversation, especially if the Niners are, are at the top of the NFC West again and and competing for a one seed to be a pro bowler. I think he needs to be three percent better (laughs) okay i don't think he needs i don't think he needs to be that much better to to be a pro bowler i thought he might get there this year but again if you make it 30 touchdowns instead of 27 maybe he gets there uh and if you take away the stigma of or the the narrative that the 49ers were winning in spite of jimmy garoppolo uh i i think he might have gotten there this year so he doesn't need to be that much better um so that's that's what i've got there i think the i i don't think he's gonna be worse like i just i i have a really hard time envisioning a scenario where he's worse than he was last year because kyle shanahan is so good at identifying a quarterback strengths and and designing an offense for them right so i don't think he's gonna be worse and and if he's the same as last year i i just i i don't think that I Like I said, I think so many things are, are going to be different that I, I have a hard time believing he's going to be the same. I think he he's at worst a little bit better.
1: I think the biggest, not the biggest point. Obviously, the 49ers want Jimmy Garoppolo to be good because he's their quarterback and they need him to be good. But yes, if Jimmy Garoppolo is that good, then you're in a scenario where you could rip up his contract and redo it and sign an extension. And given that he's already made his money. And is represented by Don Yee, Tom Brady's agent, who was more than willing to accommodate the Patriots in creating a very team friendly deal to allow them to, to sign other people. I mean, if the 49ers can get to a place with Garoppolo where they can extend him and shrink his cap number, say, in half, then it becomes a whole lot easier to pay, you know, Nick Bosa and potentially, you know, George Kittle and Fred Warner and all those guys. So, that that's also at stake for the 49ers this year with Garoppolo because they don't want to be in a place where they're capped out um, and then have to go find a new quarterback. And I don't think they're ever going to get to that point, um, but it is out there theoretically. But I, I, I think I, I am expecting Garoppolo to, to get noticeably better this year. I, I even, you know, after the season was over and early in the pandemic, I went through and watched some games from the first half of the season and comparing Garoppolo uh from week one in Tampa Bay to week seventeen in Seattle, he was a completely different player.
2: Totally different guy.
1: And so I think um I think if if he rides that trajectory that we've seen other Kyle Shanahan quarterbacks take, notably Matt Ryan from twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen. Um, then you're, you could be talking about a special quarterback and we'll have to see, we don't know if he's, if he's going to get to that level, but we've seen glimpses, glimpses of it for sure. I think that's undeniable, but really getting to that next level and being able to do it season after season is really what separates the great quarterbacks from the mediocre ones. Right. Because, you know, Derek Carr can have a right. season where he looks like an MVP candidate one year, but you would never consider Derek Carr an elite NFL quarterback because he really only did it for one season. Right. So So, it's Rodgers, Breeze, Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Like all those guys were at the elite of the elite year after year. So is Garoppolo going to get to that point this year and then can he sustain it going forward? And then does that lead to becoming an easier player for the 49ers to pay from a team building standpoint because it creates space for other guys.
2: So when you talk about Quarterbacks taking a second year leap under Shanahan, I think putting the Matt Ryan label on it is a little bit of a stretch because Matt Ryan was was good before Shanahan came in. Mm-hmm. I think Matt Schaub's jump from '08 to '09 is the one to look at. Okay, uh, because there's a significant jump. He he led the league in completions attempts. Uh, yards and yards per game. His touchdown rate went up uh, 1.1%. His interception rate stayed the same. Uh, His completion rate went up. He was just, he was a little bit better with way more usage between 2008 and 2009. And so I think that's a little bit more of what we'll see from Garoppolo where, yeah, he's better, but the numbers increase because his just workload increases yeah so that's that's where i think uh garoppolo kind of lands this year let's get to number five and it's a pair of washington guys Uh, one i think that's a little more of a sure thing than the other trent williams who the 49ers traded for on day three of the draft and then jordan reed who they officially signed over the weekend um one of the things Trent Williams talked about in his, we'll talk about each of these guys individually. So one of the things Trent Williams talked about in his press conference last week was how he was excited to watch the 49ers defensive line. And he is going to be going heads up uh, with Nick Bosa in a battle of two of the uh, three to five best guys at their position in the league. And
1: that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Training camp, if like if you're a football person, I, I mean, and kind, of, I don't need to say this is kind of obvious, but being able to like stand there on the sideline and watch these guys go against each other is just a completely different experience, and it's very unique. And and when there are two dudes who are super elite, it it really stands out, and it's a lot of fun to watch. So, um, you know, I Trent Williams versus Nick Bosa is going to be really good. Like, if Nick Bosa ends up being the Trent Williams of defensive ends. Nick Bosa's is probably having something close to a Hall of Fame career, right? Like Trent Williams has gone to what? 7 straight Pro Bowls when he played? 8? 7. 7 Pro Bowls. 7 Pro Bowls. Okay. Um yeah, I just think it's going to be fascinating and and you know, I I think there's a reasonable case to be made that Trent Williams has been a better player than Joe Staley that and so if if Williams is better than Staley, you know, you, you're talking about an offensive line now that could potentially be one of the best five in the league. I think yeah. yeah, like if Mike McGlinchey plays like he did in the second half of last season and gets better, um, if Daniel Brunskill, who played pretty well at right guard when he did play, if, if that's his spot or even Tom Compton. I think you're feeling okay about right guard centers a little bit iffy because Weston Richburg's hurt right now. Um, and Ben Garland is, is fine. I don't know that he's a, a plus or a minus there yet, but he's certainly not the strength of the offensive line if he's starting. And then I think with Lakin and Tomlinson and Trent Williams, you're, you're really good on the left side. So based on the way the 49ers are going to be able to run the ball and if they can keep Jimmy Garoppolo upright, and I think Trent Williams won't have any problem with that. Um, I mean this this could be a really good offensive line it was a yeah, pretty I, good offensive line last year but it could be really good this year
2: and it's 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 really weird saying the 49ers might improve at left tackle after Joe Staley retires just because he was such a uh a foundational piece of their offensive line for so long but Trent Williams is really really good and he's he's younger he was a higher draft pick like they they, they I I think they for sure improved at that spot Uh. I also don't think I I don't have that many questions about Trent Williams and whether he'll be able to bounce back.
1: Well, the other thing we need to point out, we've talked about, you know, the money situation. Trent Williams is a free agent, and I think there's a very realistic chance that he's one and done with the 49ers, because if they're having a hard time paying George Kittle, well, how are you going to pay Trent Williams what he could be worth? And he could be worth 18 to 20 million dollars a year. Right. um, If he shows out. So are you going to be able to do that and pay Kittle? and retain d ford quant alexander weston richburg that's all like that's all that's all up in the air still and uh and Trent williams is going to go where the money is i think
2: yeah i think so the other the other former washington football team player that the 49ers signed is a tight end jordan reed we talked about reed last week so i don't want to get super far into his his injury history and, and the risks he's undertaking to to play this season. But the the biggest question with Reed is how are the 49ers using him? Are they lining him up as an inline tight end? Are they basically using him as a wide receiver? It's going to be very interesting to see what his role is in the offense.
1: Totally agree. I, I think he's going to be the the move tight end, sort of the rostwelly. Tight, but maybe get more playing time. And look, if he's healthy and good to go, and, and, um, and, you know, knock on wood, he doesn't suffer any more concussions, like, he could be a really interesting piece for the offense. We talked about what Jalen Hurd could be as a compliment to Kittle. Well, Jordan Reed at one point was the third highest paid tight end in the league when he signed his contract, I want to say 2016. Um, so yeah, like, he, this could be a really big come up, but it also could be a scenario where, you know the the injuries take their toll again and and Reed ends up not playing because he didn't play last season either both both Williams and Reed missed out of, uh, on last season um so yeah I I it's it could be really interesting it's a very high ceiling addition um but it's also very low floor it's one of those high variant situations and and um you know like Kyle Shannon's really smart and when Kyle Shannon has really good players at skill positions his offense is really really difficult to stop so it could be uh it could be a nice get for the 49ers, given that they don't have a lot of experienced pass catchers at receiver making up for that with a tight end, I think could be, uh, I don't know if a market of inefficiency is the right way to describe it, but it could be a, a way to, to make up for what they lack at other positions.
2: All right, let's get to some honorable mentions because I got pissed off cats and need to eat. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the ones that jumps out to me, I just don't know how to make it a full-blown intriguing conversation (laughs) is the, is the starting right guard battle. Mike McGlinchey, the starting right tackle said on Monday that it's Tom Compton and Daniel Brunskill are the two players rotating in next to him at right guard. No surprises there. Were you surprised to find out that uh, neither Ben Garland nor Colton McKivitz were getting early snaps at right guard?
1: I think, i wouldn't be surprised if mckivitz throughout training camp wound up winning the job um but i think right now the favorites probably brunskill um and i think compton could end up being one of the guys that they let go of to try to save a little bit of money it wouldn't be a huge number but if he's he would be making significantly more than guys like you know justin school or even brunskill or garland um so I, I think it's a scenario that for me, at least I think Compton needs to make to, to win the starting job in order to make the team. Um, because if he's a backup, I don't know that there's going to be a big difference as far as production between him and the other guys like McKivitt's or school or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, uh, and maybe he ends up playing more tackle than 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 I envision right now. I think he's probably better at guard at this point, but maybe he ends up playing tackle and he could be a swing guy. But for the way I look at it right now, I think Compton has to win the starting job to make the team.
2: Okay. And is... then other than that, we don't have
1: a lot to say about right guards.
2: <laughs> Richard Sherman seems to think that Emmanuel Mosley is definitely the starter on the other side of him. Is Emmanuel Mosley the surefire absolute starter or... Is it a scenario where he's going to be penciled in as the starter, but uh, Akella Witherspoon can overtake? Him?
1: I think it's his job to lose. I think that's a bet. That's probably okay. the best way to put it. Like Witherspoon's clearly more talented, also clearly less consistent. Probably has a higher upside for sure, based on like the first two weeks of last season. Witherspoon looked like the best corner in the league, and then. Uh, and then he got hurt and when he came back he was in and out of the lineup again which which happened during the the season before that too Um, and he's facing a contract year so it'll be interesting to see I think it's Mosley's job to lose um, but it wouldn't surprise me if Witherspoon won it just purely based on how talented he is and his focus knowing that he's in a contract year and could earn a pretty significant payday if he balls out on a good defense
2: and the other one is D Ford's health. He had surgery on his knee to clean up that tendonitis issue that had been bugging him. He said that he feels better, but he hadn't gotten out to to actually cut and play football on that knee, which is significantly different than just working out on it. I'm very interested to see what D Ford looks like because an even better, healthier version of D Ford could make the 49ers very dangerous on defense this year
1: yeah agree i already mentioned it like the the 49ers like doubled and tripled their sack totals when ford was on the field even though he only played 22 percent of the snaps for the season so um if you can get to a scenario where ford plays half your snaps uh in in you know every week then you're with nick Bose on the other side and eric armstead inside you're in a really good spot and uh and i think ford wants the ball out too because He's fully aware of the discussion that we're having, not us specifically, but the discussion out there that he he needs to have a big year to justify his contract because he might be one of the guys that they have to get rid of to pay some of the other guys.
2: He listens to the podcast and I send him the rundown. So he's very aware of, (laughs) of this, of this discussion. All right. Those are your top uh, most interesting training camp stories. The pads come on, as Chris mentioned, on August 17th, so we will hopefully get some more insight into into, uh, what some of these guys look like in a 49er uniform, Uh, who's gotten better, who's gotten worse, and we'll be able to actually evaluate some of this stuff uh, that we're looking forward to watching. Chris, you got anything else for us? That's it. All right, let's get out of here. This has been Candlestick Chronicles. Subscribe, rate, review. See you next time.